morning, everyone, and welcome to the well here at STSA. Y'all hear me okay? Welcome to the well here at STSA. That's, there we go. Welcome to the well here at STSA. My name is Father Anthony. It's great to see so many people here today on the best Sunday of the year, which is the Feast of, no lights in the house? I think someone leaned on the lights in the back. If you're standing along the wall in the back and you lean back too far, you might just turn off all the lights in the place. There you go. You got to be very careful around there. There you go. Those number switches right there. Yeah. The best Sunday of the entire year is Daylight Saving Sunday. My favorite Sunday of the year and every priest's favorite Sunday, the day where we get an extra hour of sleep. And I don't know why we don't do this more often. I'm, st- I'm going to institute a, we should do this on a weekly basis or at least a monthly basis. Let's just take an hour. You choose. What day you want to take an hour? We want to take an hour off a of Wednesday, maybe? Maybe a, a Tuesday hour or something like that. Let's take one of those hours away and let's add it on to Sunday because it's great to see the place so full of so many different people here. And no one came late today. At least hopefully you didn't come late. If you did come late, struggling. Okay, anyway, we are on a uh, part four of a series called No Big Deal. What we're talking about in this series is the little sins, the tiny little ones, the ones that are no big deal. We're talking about sins like complaining, which we didn't even realize that's a sin. That's like a nothing kind of a sin. The sin of criticism, we talked about that last week, which that's really a nothing. That's not even a sin. That's more of like a process improvement kind of a thing. And then today what we're going to be talking about is the sin of lying. What we're doing is looking at some of the acceptable sins of society, some of the ones that we do without even realizing that we do them, because what we're seeing in this series is that sometimes the most dangerous enemy isn't the big one. The dangerous enemy isn't the big one who's marching up on your house saying, I'm going to attack your house. It's that little itsy-bitsy tiny little termite that's underneath the surface that can cause serious damage. Now, like I said, we talked about so far complaining, criticism. Now we're talking about lying. If I were to take a survey the first week and say, how many people struggle with complaining? Everyone raised their hand. There's no problem, shame to make complaining. I complain. If I would say, how many people struggle with a little bit extra critical? Everyone raised their hand. How about if I say, how many people here consider themselves liars? How many people here, like lying, like that's your thing. Like, you know what, Father Anthony, I lie a lot, okay? And actually, you know what? Let's show, let's do this right now. Let's play a little game right now. We won't go like big, huge lies, like the embezzlement kind of lies or the kind that get you thrown in jail. But how many people would say that in the past 24 hours, In the past 24 hours, they would have said something that would be considered a lie. And I told you my definition of a lie is a strange definition. It means something that's not true, okay? So how many people in the past 24 hours, a little extra on the exaggeration, a little bit of the excuse was a little bit much. You know, I told a story that was like sort of true, but kind of partial truth. How many people would say in the last 24 hours, raise your hand, you have told a lie of some sorts, okay? Very good. Now keep your hands up. Look at the people whose hands are down. Turn that hand that's up right now, point it at them and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) Because that's what you are, the people who held your hands down. Because statistics say, statistics say that the average person lies four times a day. The average person lies four times per day. But they're not really lies. They're just like conveniences. The Oh, I wish I could be there, but I have a commitment. That's a lie? The, oh yeah, I've been waiting here for you for 15 minutes, when it's really only been like two minutes, but what's the big deal? The, um, you know, you go to the store, and why are you returning this product, sir? Oh, you know, it didn't work. 
You know that one where you plan to buy it, use it once and then return it, okay, but the, it didn't work the way it was supposed to work. Those aren't lies. Those are just how we operate in life, right? The University of Massachusetts. Single people, here's an important statistic for you. Single people, listen to this one. University of Massachusetts said that 60% of us, 60% of us, there's the majority of us, cannot meet a new person and have a 10-minute conversation without telling at least one lie. We cannot have a 10-minute conversation without telling a lie, which makes the case for, I think, speed dating is the way to go here if you're single, okay? Because at least you know that, you know, you keep it under nine minutes, you can have a higher likelihood of... What I'm here to say is, what's the big deal? Like, is it really a big deal? Like, come on, now, now we're just like, Father Anthony ran out of topics to talk about, so now he's just inventing stuff. Like, what's the big deal? Okay, the story wasn't 100% true, but it was funny. And it made everybody laugh, okay? So what's the big deal? What's the big deal if, you know, I exaggerate a little bit when, you know, my boss asked me why I was late, and I say, because of traffic. But the truth of the matter is, there wasn't any traffic, and it was just, you know, I woke up, like, I, there was one minute of traffic, and I woke up 19 minutes late, so that's why I'm 20 minutes late. But what's the big deal? Like, it just makes life easier. Like, why do I have to explain everything, right? Young people, all right? Isn't it easier sometimes just to tell your mom or dad a lie than to explain to them where you were and where you weren't and why you did? It's easier just to say, hey, not even a lie, just to not fully tell every detail of the truth. That's not a lie, is it? I don't know one person, I don't know one person who would say that lying is a quality that they admire in others. I don't know one person who would say, I wish my son turns out to be someone who is very creative in the way he stretches the truth. I don't know anyone who says, yes, this is what I'm looking for in a spouse. Someone who can lie through their teeth and say it's no big deal. We all agree that if you were to go for what qualities you look for in a friend, in a spouse, what we want in our children, every one of us would put honesty somewhere on the top five list of what we want in others. Yet somehow when it comes to ourselves, it's no big deal. Well, let's see what God has to say about honesty and lying today. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. Lying lips are an abomination. Other translations of the Bible say that God detests lying lips. Means that a lie to God is a big deal. It's an abomination big deal. It's a detest big deal. It's a vile big deal. You know what vile, okay, detest abomination means? Makes me want to puke. Makes me sick to my stomach. We see no big deal. God sees get it out of my sight because it makes me sick. And what we want to talk about here today is how a tiny little lie, we can see it as no big deal. God can see it as an abomination. Well, how can that be? Well, here's our key thought for today that we'll say right now, we'll unpack it the rest of the time right here. This is the key. This is why we don't understand why lies are a big deal. But get me on this one and it'll make a lot more sense. We consider the impact of lies on others. God considers the impact of the lie on us. We consider the impact of lies on others. God considers the impact of that same lie on us. We say no big deal. Yeah, it wasn't true, but she feels better. Yeah, it wasn't true, but I avoided a conflict. Yeah, it wasn't true, 
but I got her off my back. We look at the impact of others and we say that the lie is actually good. Not only is it not bad, but let's be honest, it's good. It got me out of a conflict. It solved a problem. Got my mom off my back. It made, it made my boss not fire me. We think that the impact of the lie, we see it not only as no big deal, see it as good. But God sees it completely differently. Because God isn't looking at the outcome of the lie on others. He's looking at the outcome of the lie on us. We talked about in week one of this series, for those who weren't here, that the whole idea of sin, we've messed it up in society today. We have messed up the word sin. And we stopped using sin in the proper context. We started to think that sin means big things that other people do that get you on the news. That's sin. So if you like rob a bank, that's a sin. If you cheat on your wife, that's a sin. If you, if you, if you steal from the church, that's a sin. We like these big things. But that's not the definition of sin. Sin means literally to miss the mark. Think of a bullseye. Anything outside of that bullseye is missing the mark is sin. Think of a golf hole. Anything that's not inside the hole is missing the mark. It's sin. The mark for us is Christ. Anything that misses the mark of Christ, that's outside of Christ, is sin. Whether you miss it by a foot or 10 feet or 100 feet, it doesn't make a difference. Whether you miss the, the hole in the golf by an inch or five inches or 10 inches, either you made it in or it's not in. Either X marks the spot or it's sin. And that's why lying, we have to change the way that we look at it. Lying does not get us closer to the mark of Christ. Lying gets us further away from the mark of Christ. And what we're gonna see today, even though while it gets us further away from the mark of Christ, it gets us closer to a different mark. Look at John chapter eight, verse 44. Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Means he is a liar and the father of all lies. So here's the scary part, STSA family here. When you tell a lie, no big deal. Not only are you moving away from one mark, you are moving towards a different mark. Because here's the bad news in life. You can say it's bad news, I can say it is good news. Well, it depends on your angle. There are only two marks. There are only two holes on the golf course. There's only two X's on the treasure map. And one of them is Jesus, and one of them is his enemy. One of them is the son of God, and one is the devil himself. And every time you open your mouth, I'm sorry to say it, you're moving towards one of those marks. No big deal, no big deal. I'm not talking about the outcome of what you're saying. But every time you open your mouth, you're making a decision to move either away from one mark and towards the other or vice versa. Devil is a liar. That's his language. That's his tool. He only knows how to lie. When he opens his mouth, there's no truth in him. Devil opens his mouth, lies come out. He spoke to Eve in the Garden of Eden and he lied to her about what's gonna happen if she eats the fruit. He spoke to the prodigal son in the story that Jesus told in the parable, and he lied to him about what's going to happen if you're free. And if you leave your dad's house, this is what's going to happen, all the good stuff. He lied to him. He lied to Judas and the Jews who murdered Christ and said, if you get rid of this guy, life will be really, really, really good. He lies, he lies, he lies, he lies. That's all he does. And when we lie, we speak his language and we follow his lead. So maybe we need to reframe lying. Maybe the reason lying is so bad, maybe the reason it's so detestable to God 
isn't because of the outcome of the lie, but what it says about us, his children. Forgive me for this example. I know it's in poor taste, but forgive me. It makes my point, so forgive me. Imagine a parent, you as a parent, and your child is playing in the backyard of someone who you know is a pedophile. How would you feel about that? Your neighbor, known to do bad things to little children, and your son or your daughter wants to play in his yard. And he or she would make the case, what's the big deal? Um, we're just playing catch. Like, we're just hanging out. We're not doing anything wrong. Like, what's the big deal? The outcome of the playing is I'm happy. Would you as a parent accept that? Would you as a parent accept that and say no danger, no big deal? Or would you see it as, no, this code red. You don't play with someone that's dangerous. You don't put yourself in harm's way. I know him. He's an enemy. He's going to hurt you. You don't go in his yard. Well, Jesus says the same thing about the devil. You're speaking lies. You're speaking his language. You're using his tool. The devil only has one weapon. It's called lies. And when we pick it up and we're like, what's the big deal? It's kind of nice. And hey, look, it got me out of this. Is the first step towards what God sees as a path to destruction. And that's what I want to talk about here right now is you look at it as just a lie. But let's take a step back. And I know I'm making a big deal out of nothing, but just go with me on this one. Just go with me on this one. Maybe it is a bigger deal than we realize. Maybe it is a bigger deal than we realize because I think the devil and his plan with the lie is always greater than just to get you to tell a lie. I actually think the devil has a three-step plan. It always starts small and gets bigger. It's always the way he does it. It's the way he did it. Always historically, it's what he's trying to do with you right now. And step one may seem innocent, but it gets much more serious very quickly. Let's go through the steps. Step one is tell a lie. And that's what you think of right now that I'm talking about when I say lying, is tell a lie. That's where you, like I said, you just partially tell the truth. Or you exaggerate something that wasn't 100%, but you know, or you make up an excuse. The first step is telling a lie. I like this proverb, it says it so eloquently. Proverbs 20, verse 17. The Proverbs paint great word pictures. It says, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Bread gained by deceit tastes sweet, but after a while, it's gravel in the mouth. Look, I'm a priest. I'm an ordained guy. Stand up here and preach the gospel. I wish I could tell you we should never tell lies, and you should never tell lies, and I wish I could say I'm immune to it. But the truth of the matter is, is that I'm not. And there's a certain story, certain time I remember one time I ate gravel, like the, like the, like the proverb says. It was Halloween, eighth grade. The year was 1988. And I was invited to a Halloween party at a girl's house. Okay, this is when the boy-girl party started, all right? And the girl wasn't the girl that I was interested in. None of these people are Marianne, by the way. In case you're reading. <laughs> wasn't the girl that I was interested in, but her best friend was, okay? So the girl's having the party, and her best friend, that's the one I got my eye on. For sure she had, I mean, I'm saying, you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> So I'm excited to go to this eighth grade Halloween party. Now, just for the sake of those of you, you youngsters in the crowd right here, born in the 90s, all right, or even born in the 80s, I don't understand, Halloween back in the 80s wasn't like it is today. Like today, you see the creative costumes and the Pinterest of how to make like a life-size Hershey kiss out of like a pillowcase or something like that, all right? 
That's not the way it was back in the 80s. Children of the 80s, you remember the costumes that we wore, right? First of all, you had very little selection. You either were a superhero, like a Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. You were Star Wars, or you, as we had to do so many times, your parents said, you wear your football or your soccer jersey, and you just go as a professional athlete, okay? That's the way we went on the majority of our Halloweens. You just wear your uniform, and you just put that on and say, that's who you are. So we had a lot fewer options. And the options that you did have, they weren't like the costumes of today. Today's costumes are built for safety and comfort, okay, and quality. Not back then. Y'all remember the costumes we used to wear back then? The mask, okay, and then the plastic, okay, you remember? Like the Superman or whatever it was. So for those who, who weren't around at the time, basically you wore like a, like a it was like a, a plastic onesie, okay, is basically what it was. You kind of put it on like a smock, and it was just like a one-piece thing, 100% flammable, okay? I dare you to go near an open flame with that thing. There's no way that thing was legit. And then the mask. Do you remember the mask? Okay, that you used to put on and you would snap it on your head. You could take your, you could cause a concussion with that thing. That thing was 100% toxic. The little eye holes were like this and the, the mouth hole was even smaller. You put that thing on, you look like Jason from Friday the 13th and you had to walk around that thing and in between houses you <laughs> gasping for air before you had to put it back on and breathe the toxins in. Like no, no wonder so many of us are messed up. I, in eighth grade, decided to go as Alfred. Do y'all know Alfred from Mad Magazine? This guy? <laughs> so this is me working the magic in 1988 at the Halloween park. So I got the plastic onesie, just like that, with the little suit. It's just basically, think of a bib that just goes all the way down, okay? <laughs> And then I got the mask, the snap-on, the rubber band thing that you can't breathe in. And then this one came, okay, because it was Alfred, and apparently his hair is red. Okay, I don't know if it shows up there on the screen, but apparently his hair was red. This red goop that I had to put in my hair to make my hair red. You had to put this red goop inside your hair. So I gooped myself up because I'm trying to, you know what I mean, like make an impression. This is like one of the first co-ed parties that we have, and it's Halloween, and it's like legit. And I'm going, I'm going to totally knock her socks off. We go out to the party, we do the, 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 the Halloween thing, and then we did a little trick-or-treating in the neighborhood, whatever it was. And then afterward, we went back to her house. It's a big group, not just a big group, okay? Just so we're understanding here, okay? Big group of people, like the whole class. And then we start to take off the costumes because, again, you can't breathe in these things, and, and you're afraid of, of, of any spark catching you on fire. So people start to take off the thing, and I take off the thing, and I still got this red goop in my hair, and I wanted to get the red goop out because I guess I wanted to lean back and I didn't want to mess up something. So I go in the bathroom and I start to wash out the red stuff, okay? And I'm just cupping some water in my hand and I'm, you know, trying to get the stuff out. I guess I wasn't very careful in the way I was doing it because when I left the bathroom, which I thought everything was fine, I go out of the bathroom and then luck would have it. The very girl who I was trying to impress was the next one who walked into the bathroom. And she went in and she gasped. And she screamed. And what happened in here? So of course, everyone is alerted to go see what happened in the bathroom. And apparently, I didn't do the most neatest job in the whole wide world getting that stuff off my hair. Apparently, I had splashed some water around on the wall, on the mirror. And I did notice that there was some water in different places, but I was smart, so I thought I would wipe it up with the towel, the white towel, 
that I would wipe up some of the red goop and stuff that had spilled all around. But I'm colorblind, so I didn't realize that the towel turned red. I thought it would dry off and be okay. So here comes this girl, sees the mess. What happened in here? I got red all over myself, and I peek in and go, I don't know. <laughs> and who did this? I don't know. And I denied and denied, and I'm covered in red. I'm covered in red, and I am denying the truth that is so evident to everyone. Needless to say, things between me and her didn't work out. I pretty much ran out of that house with my tail between my legs, and I ate gravel that night. The scary part isn't that I destroyed this girl's bathroom. I lost a chance at being in a relationship with this girl, because what I got is 10 times better. 10,000 times better. Okay. The scary part is how quickly and easily I was willing to remove the truth and run from it and deny it and stand firm in wasn't me, wasn't me. And the whole world knew it was me. But the scary part is how I not just told a lie, but I think I went from step one to step two. Step two is when you not tell a lie, but you believe a lie. And that's the second thing the devil wants you to do. Not just to tell a lie, but to believe a lie. Like getting you to lie to me is bad. Getting you to lie to yourself is worse. The devil would love to get us to lie to ourselves. Lies like, I didn't do anything. This isn't my fault. It's all their fault. Lies like, I could stop if I wanted to, but I choose not to. Lies like, I don't have a temper problem. I'm just teaching them a lesson. Those kind of lies. He likes it when we lie to one another, but he loves it when we lie to ourselves and we believe those lies. Let's go back in the Old Testament to a guy named David. Y'all know the story of David. David was a great king of Israel, but David got himself into some trouble because of a lie. And not just a lie that he told, but the scary part is a lie that he believed. He told it so much that he actually believed it. Let's go back for a little bit of context. David was a great king. One day, when things were going well for David, he's up on his balcony, he's taking a walk around, and he looks at the neighbor's balcony, and he sees a beautiful girl named Bathsheba, and Bathsheba's taking a bath on the, on the roof. That's what they did back then. That's just how life was. Took a bath on the roof, and David said, whoa, she's a, she's a good-looking girl right there. So David sent his wingman, his servant, go over there, and you know, like we did in seventh grade, go tell her that David likes you, you know? And David sent a note with his friend, then go tell her that the king likes you, and to come see the king, and pass notes back and forth. She comes over to David's house. David commits sin with her. She gets pregnant. What are the chances? She gets pregnant. Now David finds himself in a little bit of trouble. When you lie and you get in trouble, you solve it by lying again. And a lie leads to a lie, which leads to a lie, which leads to a lie. That's what happened to David. He tried to cover up his sin. He called for her husband who was faithfully serving the nation at war and fighting on behalf of David, the king. And he calls her husband, her name was, his name was Uriah. And he calls Uriah to come back and says, hey, Uriah, it's been a long time since you've seen your wife. Why don't you take the night off and, you know, go have some, spend some quality time with your wife, hoping that they would make a baby. 
okay, together. So then she'd be pregnant. He'd say, okay, look, you made a baby with her. And yeah, it's only like seven months, but you know, maybe that's just how it works now. Uriah, but refuses to go into his wife. Uriah's an honorable man, says, how can I go into my wife while my troops, my rest of my, 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 my brother's soldiers are at war? And he slept outside his house, honorable man. David says, if first you don't succeed, try again. David brings him over the next day, gets him liquored up and gets him drunk and then sends him back. Same thing. Uriah refused to go into his wife. So then David did what any lie-believing person would do next. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab, who was the commander of the army, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. David gave a note to Uriah to go take to his commanding officer. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. He sets Uriah, who committed no crime, up for death. And he's not even ashamed to put it in writing. And he's not even ashamed to give the letter to Uriah to carry to the commanding officer. That's how good a dude Uriah was. He trusted 100%. He wouldn't even open it and read it along the way. Shame on you, David. Shame on you. Joab, the commander, does what he's told to do. And Uriah dies. Verse 26, now when the wife of Uriah, that's Bathsheba, when she heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Shame on you, David. She became your wife? No, she didn't. You stole her. She did not become your wife. She's the wife of Uriah, and she will always be the wife of Uriah. Shame on you, David, that you lied and then you covered up with another lie and now you're believing all those lies that you're innocent and she's actually your wife. You believe the lie. Shame on you. A year later, David lives in this lie for a year. Everything is fine. She's my wife. That's my kid. Poor Uriah went down. I don't really remember what happened to Uriah, but you know, she's my wife. A year later, God sends Nathan the prophet to David and Nathan tells David this story. He says, hey, David, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, or not once upon a time, he tells it as if it's real. And he says, you know, David, there's this guy in your kingdom who's a poor guy. He only has one little sheep. He loves that sheep. And that sheep's like his pet. He looks forward to coming home to see that sheep every single day. All he's got is that sheep. He don't have anything to live for except that one little sheep. And then there's this rich guy. And this rich guy has like 100 sheep. And then one day, someone came to visit the rich guy and the rich guy needed to slaughter a sheep for the sake of his guest. So the rich guy went and took the poor guy's only one little sheep and he slaughtered him. What do you think about that, Mr. King David? David was furious. This is unacceptable. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse six. David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David is furious. How can this possibly be this injustice? What kind of wicked person? And then the next verse, ton of bricks. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Not like you're the man. You are the man. 
Warning. I believe that for some of you today, God sent me to say to you, you are the man. Or you are the woman. Not all of you, but some of you. And I realize it's very uncomfortable, and I realize that you don't want to hear it, but I believe that today, God is saying to some of you, you are the man. You are the woman. Stop lying to yourself. Stop believing the lie. Stand up and face the truth. The truth is, you're not a victim. It's not all their fault. It's your fault. The truth is, you do have a problem and you need to get help. And you can't control the problem because if you could have, you would have, but you can't. The truth of the matter is, is you are hurting others. It's not just, well, no one's getting hurt or it's not affecting my family life or it's not affecting my kids. No, it is. That's the truth. And the truth is you are the man and you need to look yourself in the mirror and be honest and stop living a lie. Lying to yourself is the worst kind of lying. Because once you open that door to lying to yourself, the end is deadly. As it was with David, had it not been for Nathan. And what would have happened, what did happen with David to a degree, is ultimately where the devil wants to take each one of us. He wants us to tell a lie. No big deal, but telling a lie leads to believing a lie. And believing a lie leads to step three, which is living a lie. And like I said a minute ago, I'm not saying everyone, but I'm saying some of us. Some of us are living a lie. Some of us are saying one thing and living something different. Some of us at work, we're very nice. At church, we're loved by all. But the people in our house cringe when the garage door opens and they know we're coming home. Some of us on Instagram, man, you think we're the happiest person in the whole wide world. Perfect life on Instagram. Perfect picture. Everything is perfect. Perfect family. Perfect whatever. Perfect. But the truth of the matter is, is we're depressed on the inside. We're in a deep pit on the inside. A lot of despair. A lot of dark thoughts. Some of us are the queens of Pinterest. And you look at our Pinterest and we got the perfect life. Like all of our food is organic. All of our clothes are, you know, the, 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 the homemade kind or the fun kind. You think by looking at our Pinterest that our kids came out the womb like with vacuum cleaners in their hand, just like sweeping the place up. But the truth is our marriage is falling apart. And there's no intimacy at home. And the desire to make my life look perfect makes the people who are in that life want to run as far away as they can. Some of us are living a lie, saying one thing and living something completely different. And I'll, and I'll be like very transparent. I'll be very honest. Like I'm not immune to this stuff myself. One of the things that I always cringe, okay, is when I see church leaders, the higher up you go, and I don't mean higher up in like hierarchy, meaning in terms of visibility and influence, the higher up you go, the more you are in danger of living a lie, of trying to pretend to be something on Sundays and something completely different on Mondays. That's why I take this stuff very seriously because I've seen too many people in leadership positions 
Oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, it's not hurting anybody. Oh, nobody will know. Oh, it's not affecting me. Oh, I could stop if I want. I've seen too many of that stuff, too much of that to just turn a blind eye. If the devil can convince me to lie and sin, that's bad. But if he can convince me to live that lie and stand in front of here and present to you one thing and live something else, that's much worse. And I believe that's what he wants to do, not just for me, but for all of us. That's why, if you ask me, the only defense that we got against living lies, the only defense we got, there's two things that I make sure is a part of my life. And I urge you to make sure is a regular part of your life too. Not for the sake of be good, not for the sake of because it's the right thing to do, but for the sake of if not, you're in trouble. And those two things are confession and accountability. Confession and accountability. Regular confession, regular accountability. Confession means you go to somebody. Okay, for me, here in the Orthodox Church, we believe in the sacrament of confession. And we believe that's something that we should do regularly. And that means we need to go to a priest, someone that we can humble ourselves in front of God. And in front of God and in front of that priest, we say, I have sinned and I am not perfect. And I got, I got issues and I got all kinds of stuff. And that priest can call us out and he can, can help us see those things. And then he can help us out. The priest doesn't call us out only. He calls out, then he helps us out. But in addition to the priest, I would love to hold all of you accountable. Look, just look at the number of people in this room. I don't have to, like, there's 300 people in this room. That means once a year I could spend a quality time with every single person right here. What I'm saying is we need regular accountability with each other. We need to stop trying to live lives with the mask. We need to be transparent with one another. We need someone in our life other than the priest that I can be completely transparent with. And this is taken on different shapes in the course of my life. It doesn't always look the same. This could be a mentor. And that for times it has been for me. This could be a group, an accountability group. This could be a spouse. And I say this knowing that this might not work for everyone. And I say this, okay, take this, you know, with wisdom. But I think the ideal purpose of marriage is that your spouse is that accountability partner in a lot of ways. Not the only one, but that you are 100% transparent with your wife or your husband. And they know everything that is to know about you. Because I see a verse like this and I get scared. I see a verse like Jeremiah 17, 9 that says, the heart is deceitful above all else, above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. I see this verse and I get scared. And I don't want you to fall into the trap of living a lie. In the interest of being honest and transparent, I will tell you that I have told lies, I have believed lies, and there was an especially dark period in my life where I lived a lie. A time where on the outside, you looked at me, said everything is great. Everything was great. But it wasn't on the inside. This was, I was a year out of college. So before priesthood, before Marianne, before any of that stuff. 21, 22 years old, something like that. And I was... Okay, for, as many people know, is that I didn't really grow up very spiritual. Kind of grew up doing my own thing. But then in my college years, that's where I started to make a comeback. Okay, around age 20, something like that. And like I, in my mind, I'm like, I'm all in. Like I love this thing. Like I started attending church. You know, I, I went to University of Virginia, which is two hours away. So I would like come home like every weekend to come to church services. Like it started off, I would come home on Sunday mornings. And then eventually it was like Saturdays. And then after my second semester, it was like I would come home Thursdays and go back on Monday. So I was spending more time here so I could be involved with church. And I was serving and I was teaching Sunday school and I was driving the church van. I was like all in at church. I was all in. I was doing everything the right way. But some of those old practices 
hadn't gone away yet. Okay, which is why in general, my, my opinion is, is easy up means easy down. Okay, I, I always rather see steady growth than the highs and the lows. And I was doing everything right on the outside, but on the inside, a lot of stuff was not right. Now I'm being honest and I'm being transparent, but I will not tell you exactly what was going on on the inside. So just in case you're sitting on the edge of the seat and say, I can't wait to hear what he did. <laughs> next week's topic is gossip. <laughs> so I'm prepping you for next week. But I'll tell you this, back to the story. And Marianne knows all the details, okay? So I'm 100% transparent with her, but no need to be in front of the camera here, okay? I remember very vividly, one evening, I was driving on the Beltway. Okay, I, I grew up in Tyson's Corner, so I remember I was getting from Tyson's Corner, okay, get on the Beltway. And you know, on the Beltway, everyone drives like 1,000 miles an hour, and I'm, and I'm merging onto the Beltway, and I didn't see a truck coming, so I put the blinker on, and I was about to go. I'm fine, don't worry, everything's gonna be great, okay? <laughs> My mother-in-law started to gasp, I'll be okay, okay? <laughs> I'm staying right here. And I didn't see the truck coming, and I started to go, and at the last second, I jerked it back. Okay, like I saw him at the last second, so I, so I corrected it, and everything's fine. And I remember still vividly thinking to myself, man, if that thing had hit me, I don't know where I'd go. I don't know if I'd go up or if I'd go down. And that's a scary thought. And I also remembered being very hot at the time, which was not a good sign. And I remember I pulled over because I was, and I called my father of confession. It was my like 911. Like, you know, you go to the, you make an appointment with the doctor when you have like a cold, but if like you're having a heart attack, you go emergency room. And he picked up the phone and said, I need to come over and confess earliest possible time. I'll come anytime. He said, come over now. I drove straight to his house. I cried. I confessed. I was 100% transparent. And I felt so free after that moment. I had a lot of pieces to pick up. I had a lot that needed to be undone. But I felt this verse, John 8:32. You shall know the truth, and truth shall make you free. I, to this day, and again, Marianne knows this, I, to this day, every good thing that I have in my life today, I have so much good things. I have so much good things. Every good thing in my life came from that moment. I have no doubt about it. Every good thing in my life came from that moment. Well, I was honest with myself. And I called myself out. And I'm thankful that I had my prophet Nathan, that my accountability, my confession, because I know that if he hadn't picked up the phone or if he had said, come next week, I know I'd have talked myself out of it by next week. I know I'd have convinced myself in another week that, oh, you know what, it's not that big a deal because the car didn't hit me. And what's the big deal? And everyone still thinks I'm great. I know I'd have talked myself out of it. I'm thankful I had a relationship. I'm thankful that the accountability was there. I'm thankful that, that this, I wasn't like trying to figure out like, hey, like who can I call and who can I tell right now? And I get afraid when I see people living without accountability and confession. I get afraid. You may be okay today. You will not be okay tomorrow. There will come a point in time where God will hit you with a, you are the man. You are that woman. 
And you need someone who you can be completely honest with and call you out. But the result is freedom. Freedom for those who are living a lie. Those who have ever lived a lie or believed a lie. Imagine the freedom. We all know what it feels like to try to maintain a lie. The pressure, the guilt, like the effort to maintain a lie, to try to remember what you told that person and what that person knows. Imagine the freedom of you wake up tomorrow. No secrets. Imagine that freedom. That I don't have to hide anything. That I can be completely myself, 100% out in the open. That's the last thing the devil wants for you. The devil loves for you. I think that was like an amen from heaven, don't you think? <laughs> the last thing the devil wants for you. The devil controls us by the lies. And once I broke free from the lie, he had no power over me. What's he going to say? You're bad? I know I'm bad, but I'm forgiven. What's he going to say? You messed up? I know I messed up. I just confessed it. I confessed it to the whole world. I messed up, but I'm forgiven. What are you going to say against me? Like the devil controls us and manipulates us and keeps us in bondage through lies. But when there's truth, there's freedom. In the beginning, I told you, God doesn't care about the impact God doesn't look at the impact of our lies on others. He looks at the impact of lies on ourselves. And now you see what I mean by that. And what Jesus wants for all of us is to live in freedom. I told you in the beginning that the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. Well, now let's look at the other extreme. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. The truth isn't a statement. The truth is a person. The more we speak lies, the more we move towards a person who is a liar and the father of all lies. And the more we speak truth, the more we move to a person who is the truth, who is Christ. Every time you open your mouth, you're moving towards one of those marks. Moving towards the mark of Christ will never be easy. Okay, Jesus said there's a road that leads to life and that's hard. There's a road that leads to death and that's easy. The lying road will always be easier, more convenient. Yes, this road is harder but it's also worth it because this is the road that gets us to where Christ is. What I discovered, the issue isn't the lie. The issue is the ease with which we give up the truth. And you, I know how this is gonna go. I'm saying lying, you're gonna get together in your life groups this week and discuss it. And the first question is gonna be, but how do I avoid that lie, that situation? How do I avoid that? And we're going to be tempted to run to that. How do I avoid that? And what I'm saying is, forget about that. 95% of the time when you tell a lie, you didn't need to. 95% of the time, it was just out of, you know what it really comes down to? You know why we lie? Because we don't trust God. Because we don't really trust that the truth will protect us. And we think that the lie will protect us. We think it's safer to tell a lie than it is to tell the truth. It's safer to avoid the conflict. But you know what I'm here to tell you? Maybe what's in your best interest isn't to avoid a conflict. Maybe what's in your best interest is to have a conflict and resolve a conflict, especially before Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. Maybe what's in your best interest is not to spend all of dinner making up lies about how much you loved what she made for you. 
Nobody cares about the tuna casserole or the steak that tastes like the shoe. Maybe instead of telling her how great that steak tastes, maybe you need to say, how are you? And maybe our discussion needs to center around something other than the food and it was so great. Maybe we can talk about, you know, the selection of drinks was fantastic at your, at your place. The way you folded that napkin, like whatever it may be. Like what I'm trying to say is we look at it as unavoidable. And what I'm saying is when you put in your mind, I refuse to lie, I guarantee you, you will find ways to be loving, to be kind, and still be honest and say the truth. The issue isn't the lie. The issue is the ease with which we give up the truth. We think a lie will keep us safe, but the truth is that a lie will never keep us safe. A lie will only lead to more problems. So let's recap. Devil, let's go devil on this side. Christ on, no, you're, you're right. Okay. Devil on this side, Jesus on this side. One is a liar, one is the truth. One, anytime he opens his mouth, the only thing that comes out is lies. One, anytime he opens his mouth, the only thing that comes out is truth. Which one are you more like? When you open your mouth tomorrow morning at the office, you will be more like a liar and the father of lies or more like the truth? When you speak to your wife or your children, when you speak to that person who you're supposed to be transparent with, will you speak lie or speak truth? And how about this one as the last one? When you look in the mirror tonight before you go to bed, and you see the person staring back at you. Lie or truth? It's your choice. But every time you open your mouth, you're moving towards one of those marks. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us freedom and a chance to live truly free. We know the path to get there is the truth, starting first with ourselves and then with others, truth with you. And it's hard, Lord, but we pray that you would give us the strength and the courage. Give us the faith to trust that saying the truth and being honest, even though it may seem difficult, give us the faith and the courage to know that in the end, we'd rather say the truth and be with you than say a lie and be without you. Give us not to fall for the tricks of the evil one who deceives and always opens his mouth with lies. Help us to see the truth, Lord, about ourselves and to speak the truth every time we open our mouths. We ask this in the name of your son, the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.